you press a button and you get some reward. A lot of times there's a lot of false positives. For example, the ETH global rewards distribution contract. Some guy calls a function, he gets some money out because he won a hackathon. But because they're getting money from thin air, under that classification, it would be a long tail strategy, but it's not. So there's too many of these false positives to make sense. The noise to signal ratio was too high, so we just scraped that. Scraping Bits is brought to you by the following sponsors. MEV Protocol, Maximize your ETH staking value with MEV ETH exclusively on MEV.io and Composable. Execute any intent on any chain coming soon to mantis.app. That's M-A-N-T-I-S dot A-double-P. And Fastlane Labs, the only MEV and intent-centric team that has a daily deodorant application rate of over 68%. GM, GM, everyone. My name's Tagachi, the host of Scraping Bits, and today I'm with someone from down under, Lib EVM. GM, GM, good day, good day. How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. I mean, can't complain. You're in Australia before I leave you. I'm sorry. Just for the people that aren't familiar with the infamous library, who are you and what do you do? I'm kind of the shit post online these days. I run the ETH Melbourne meetup. These days, I'm working on a new project called Cryptic Woods. And so we're doing block building and we have a live MEV Explorer. If you want to check it out, it's libmev.com. And it kind of gives you like a more detailed breakdown of what MEV is extracted on mainnet. And you have a very extensive background as well. I remember when I got into MEV, maybe two, three years ago, we were seeing you as well. And you were always like the long tail guy speaking about that kind of stuff of being a little level one bandit and talking, <laughs> being on the left side of the bell curve and all this stuff, but still discovering very interesting things on chain, like a very analytical type of guy. And I remember one of them that you actually posted was you found this bot making 500k a month <laughs> uncontested. That was a bit wild. I guess that kind of plays into how you got into cryptic goods as well. So what were you really doing at in your past, how did you get into what you are doing now? Okay, just want to clarify the 500k. I don't remember that, so so let's just push it aside. Clarify, it was May 2022. Okay, 2022. Yeah, no, I actually started off with AI. I really wanted a job in AI. But then, you know, I come from the bumfuck nowhere, no-name university, so none of the prestigious fan companies or manga companies these days would hire me. So knowing that, seeing that I couldn't get any opportunities in the AI land, I decided to try my hand at crypto. So back then, Vitalik had a list of stuff that he wanted people to build, and there was a couple of ZK applications. So I built one, and I actually got invited to a Stanford conference for Zero Knowledge Proofs. This was back in 2018, 2019. So those were pretty early on. And so that's kind of what kickstarted me into crypto, eventually into MEV. But initially, it was that, oh, okay, there's a permissionless nature in this ecosystem. I don't need to show my degrees. I don't need to show, hey, I can do my homework. Here's my stamp of approval from X university or Y university. It was just, if you show up and you can prove yourself, that's good enough. So I really enjoyed this permissionless nature, which is how I got into crypto. Initially, it was just me and we kind of just fucked around with a bunch of protocols. By fucked around, I mean like back then it was like plasma. So we learned about plasma, state channels. It wasn't like attacking protocols or anything. It was just like learn how to actually build these concepts or ideas that people have dreamt about because these things are so abstract. So I got quite deep in that 
domain and ecosystem until obviously DeFi Summer came, DeFi Summer 2020. That's where all the opportunity came. And there was a lot of raw potential there. Looking back, I thought I was late. And I actually was really, <laughs> really against arbitrage back then until one of my friends, he kind of pulled me in and he's like, yo, there's money on the table. We should just do this. And so he pulled me into the space. If, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. And that's kind of how I got into crypto and MEV. And now block building is just an extension of that. Yeah, 2020 was an insane time when sushi was created and all the whole master chef craze and then the food coins and all that stuff. It was such an insane time because the APYs on everything were just absurd. I imagine if you built like a yield farming bot at the time, you would have made ridiculous money. My uncle was actually doing manual DeFi staking and all this other stuff. And it was, it was making tons of money, bro. It was like 20K in like a week or something. Yeah, yeah. I remember Bantag was posting his like automated farmer thing, which scans for a bunch of MasterChef contracts, checks if it drugs, and it puts in, I don't know, stakes. And then you're staking LP tokens, right? Sometimes you're even staking like curve LP tokens, which is even better because you don't get IL. And then you just like dump the L2 tokens. But I didn't have a good understanding of economics back then. I didn't know what the pool two consists of. And so I lost about $10,000 on my first big farm, oh which was a lot of money for me back then. Still is right now, but back then it was substantially a lot more. And I was like kind of depressed for a few, few days. Oh God, you're like, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, we were just buying up some farm tokens and it was a group of farmers so we were just egging each other. It's like, oh, you got 2%, I got 2.5. And oh, you got 2.5, I need to get three. <laughs> so we just kept egging each other and then we just got dumped on. But it was a good learning experience. Oh yeah. MEV has evolved since then dramatically. What we see now is all these searchers are becoming builders, including yourself. Now you're a builder. Yeah, big disclaimer. I only started the builder because I was felt like I was rotting away more precisely. So I needed a project. So I stopped. I remember finishing searching for... So we did searching in 2020 and 2021, roughly. And I had a friend, this is a, another friend, and he was... I think he made about 500k and then he just fucked off. And then he bought a van and he just started doing van life. And he's like the happiest guy I know. Meanwhile, on crypto Twitter, everyone's like, oh, I need nine figures or I need eight figures. And for me, I've hit my target. I doubled it. I hit my target and I doubled it. And then I thought to myself, this is like infinite human greed. It's like infinite. I'm never going to be satisfied. Let's just stop it here and enjoy. So I fucked off and I did like a year of snowboarding and I kind of just fucked around, bounced between regions. And, you know, it was fun, but inside I felt I was rotting away. And so after a year of not doing shit, I came back and I was like, what's this PBS stuff? Which I had no clue what it was about. And I was like, okay, seems like it's the ultimate challenge. So give it a go. Interesting. Damn, let's never hear that before. I think the same thing happened with probably MEV Intern back in the day. They probably made their buck and just left because they're no longer active on Twitter. And that's who I got inspired from to even jump into MEV in the first place. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was like the dominant searcher on PSC as well, which didn't have validators back then and which was way more lucrative than mainnet, mind you, because of the amount of shit coining there. So I'm pretty sure they made their buck 10 times and they probably was like, okay, let's start like a venture fund or something. I wish I was at MEV back then. I was, I was such a normie back in the day. Now I'm still kind of a normie, just like slightly better. At least I can build a script. <laughs> we all have our arcs. I'm still ramping up. So you're in an MEV search during 2020, 2021, right? Yeah, 2020, 2021, kind of paused for a while at the beginning of 2022 until probably the end of 2023. So probably two years. Okay. So do you have any search stories from back in the day? Any interesting finds and discoveries, arcs you had? 
Not really, because it was kind of like this teamwork thing. So I guess the most interesting story was that we had like an ESD. Do you remember ESD? Empty set dollar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Empty set dollar had this function called advance, I think. Something along the lines where you advance it to the next epoch. And when you advance it to the next epoch, you get like $100. There was also another fork called DSD. And there was actually a ton of other forks. I don't know, ABCD, FDs or whatever that allows you to advance it and you get $100 for your effort. And we found a very obscure protocol. Well, back then it was obscure. It actually grew to 300 plus million, but then it got hacked. Yes, uh, I'm sure you guys can infer from that. It was like that one protocol, but it wasn't giving out $100. It was giving out $300. I'm not sure how long. So it was like, and there was only one guy contesting for it. My buddy, I think Xerox Mini Moon, just said, hey, we should write a script to check it out. But then I was like, okay, I want to finish this arbitrage thing. It's much cooler. It's much cooler than this stupid advanced function. And so he's like, can you write me a script to finish this off? And so I wrote him a script. I don't even remember what I did. I just gave him the script and said, you can run it on your computer locally. And then he did some tweaks and modifications to fix up the timing to make sure that he's always calling it at a profit and making sure when he calls it, He's slightly ahead of the opponent and then making sure he takes out profit. I think a month later, he's like, yo, we made 50K from that. And I was like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> Those were good days. Brings back memories. Yeah, this is another time. Another story was him and someone else. The guy who got the van and fucked off. The van. The van guy. The van guy. They found like this, another obscure protocol to extract value. Or like basically you're just liquidating someone or you're keeping the network, almost like DevOps. But there was this one Ukrainian guy who was competing and what they did was basically Basically, the Ukrainian guy realized, hey, we're losing like 100% of the profits and there's only like two of us competing. Why don't we just, you know, split it 50-50? And so they split 50-50 for like two months. So how they contacted him was through Eat the Scan and then you put your comments down, Telegram here. But those were very, very wild, wild west days. These days, I guess it's a lot more structured. There's a lot more cartels to kind of break into. But back then there was like very structureless flashbots. Discord was probably your main entry point. Still is, but I think less so. There's the searcher.dev Telegram chat and there's like others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Flashbots Discord back in the day was like ground zero of MEV and all the new people would flush in and people would just meme them. It was just complete psyops, the entire Discord. It was such a good time. I miss those days. Well, yeah, if you're going to go into the Discord and you're going to say, hey, guys, uh, I want to make money. How can I make money? That's like 90% of the people there, to be fair. Yeah, 100%. It was so funny, though, just seeing people roast each other. Oh, well, <laughs> that's so random. It was just you, a guy using cold data to communicate it's like all right telegram fellas no no not even called out it was on eth skin it was like discus comments so it wasn't even a call there it was just like all right use my telegram let's chat that's so weird i remember seeing a few long tail strategies as well and there's only one guy and this was on like avax and i was trying to join an mev team at the time which was titan now and i was working on the, this was my first ever bot and there was this guy that was making like 50k every month uncontested basically without any competition and i was looking for his contracts and there was a function that you could actually reverse so he was going forward in the strategy but you could actually reverse the strategy to make money as well it turns out the money was the reverse strategy was three times more profitable as soon as i found it he actually found it as well which was very disappointing then he started making 200k a month which was not fun He's probably like, who's this cunt eating my lunch, right? Well, that was me. I didn't. I actually didn't even get to the end of it. I just kind of like stopped 99% after oh. building it. Because <laughs> it was my first bot. I didn't know how to execute. So I, I rugged myself, basically. It's okay. Now we can all rug each other. With dog with hat. 
not not financial advice dog with hat yeah yes. oh my god the solano ecosystem is crazy right now it's pretty nuts sorry sorry i know we said no tangents <laughs> oh yeah yeah no it's all good <laughs> so how did you get into cryptic woods then so you were just bored and were quote-unquote rotting away and cryptic woods was a representation of that to bring you out and then you started libmev which i think is a great dashboard i've talked about it a few times on the podcast oh thanks I think it's like the best one out there. Yeah, so I wasn't bored. I want to clarify. I was rotting away would be, would be a better way to put it. So I needed a project and then I was attending Paradigm's Rust Exit Theorem talk. And then one guy was presenting the new tool called Cairo and they had this new data format called Arrow from Apache. And I was like, okay, this sounds fun. Maybe I should play around with it. And then playing around with it turned into a dashboard. Okay, because that was the only thing I was good at, analyzing details. Because I tried going to another website and and they've been around for a while. So they had time to kind of fix the errors and everything, but they were just like blatantly wrong and they didn't give a they didn't really give much attention to it. So I thought I could maybe build something that was a little bit more accurate. And so that kind of snowballed from there. And how the builder came out to be was actually we wanted to collect more data on builders. But we didn't know how to build a block. We didn't know much about building. We just decided, okay, maybe we'll just start a builder. And that kind of snowballed from there. Oh, okay. So it's more of like a data collection thing instead of trying to compete with everyone. Yeah, but then we started, okay, now we're here and then we're already sunk at 50k. Okay, let's go. Let's go. We're 50k down. Let's go. Let's keep going. LFG. <laughs> so that's how the builder came to be. In terms of future plans, to be honest, we're kind of just bouncing around. We have ideas on how to iterate the builder. We have ideas on how to iterate the dashboards. We're thinking of adding in some Telegram bot statistics because uh, we got like a pipeline to process data in parallel now. Uh, we're kind of just winging it most of the time. But the builder is, we're putting some serious infra work to that. So yes, but apart from that, the roadmap is kind of not decided yet. We don't have like a six, we have a six month roadmap, but we don't have like a five year plan because PBS might be obsolete by then. Who knows? Well, to be fair, everything changes so quickly in crypto, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's like six months ago, I think Time Builder wasn't even that dominant. Now they're number one builder. Well, even a thing six months ago? Oh, I think they were. Or they just released. Yeah. I remember they've been building it for a while. I don't know when they released though. No, I remember at Paris and then they were giving a talk on that builder. And I remember they were, I think they were still losing money back then, but they were building, I think, 5 to 10%. I'm not too sure. And then I thought to myself, this is a retarded business model. Obviously, I'm the retarded one because, you know, why would I give out money to build blocks? But oh, they had foresight. And here you are doing it. <laughs> yeah. So the Titan Builder guys definitely had a lot of foresight. Oh, yeah. They're very smart people. I love them as well. They're such great people. Uh, I think everyone in the community likes them as well. Maybe not the competitors, but... Oh, it's all fair game, right? We're just building blocks. We're keeping Ethereum secure. It's all that matters. Ultrasound money. Ultrasound money. So how are you getting data from the builder? If, From my understanding, you get transactions sent to you, right? And others, well, you, there's also exclusive transactions, private order flow. So if you're not getting all that data... How can you get accurate data on the entire building market? No, no, no. So the dashboard is just to calculate on-chain data. So not like things you collect off-chain. So we're not collecting mempool dumpster, for example. They're collecting like when the data is received from which nodes or which private mempool providers. We're not doing that. The whole point was just to understand the whole process from start to finish, how do you build a block? How do you assemble a block? And then how do you broadcast it? How do you send it to the relay? How does the relay get it sent to the validator and so, and so on? Okay, so it's not a data collection mechanism at all. It's just understand the process. Okay, interesting. 
if the plans are up in the air. What do you think is actually the competitive edge in current PBS in builders? I think the most public ones we can see out there is Autoflow. I mean, just go to eat the scan right now, look at the blocks, they're not even full. So if the blocks are not full and you have more transactions stuff into your block, that means you get more tips. And if you have more tips, you can win the block auction process. So that's the most obvious ones. But I think two things that people do neglect a little bit is the algorithm. So there is an infinite possible ways. There's a lot of ways to organize a block. Like there's transactions in this order, but some maybe these transactions might revert some other transactions, which means that you get less payout. So how do you order them? So we have some heuristics on how to order it in a slightly more efficient manner, which is why if you look on how blocks, it looks like slight gibberish because most of the <laughs> transactions you see MUE bundles and then all the rest of the block. But I think us and I think now Titan Builder have blocks that look very gibberish right now. Talking about the profit gap algorithm, that kind of building sequence, the actual builder part, it's a very tough game because I think late 2023, Gambit actually unbundled <laughs> for 50 ETH. I mean, that's a giant tank in their reputation, but you wouldn't send to them anymore if that happened to you. For sure. It's a reputation game. There's a very interesting Twitter, CryptoTriv, twitter.com slash CryptoTriv. He's been posting like on-chain messages on, I think, mainnet and BSC and some guy called searcher-protect.e. And then he just like, sends everyone call data saying, warning, your assets are at risk. You're sending bundles to this builder, but you won't get any security guarantee according to terms. This builder has a history of unbundling bundles and uh, it's just, it's like searcher-protect.eve and they're just like spamming everyone. It's kind of hilarious actually. Do you remember seeing that uh, that guy that was trying to mimic Titan? Yeah, yeah, with the with, by subsidizing blocks and having the graffiti for them. I don't know what happened to that. They were just paying Titan for no reason, and nobody knew what the benefit was. It was just like they were sending money to them. No, it wasn't sending money. Basically, they were building the blocks with their graffiti on it, which had Titan Builders graffiti. But why did they do it? I do not know. Maybe it was like a whole PSYOPs marketing game from Tyson. Could be a PSYOPs marketing game, yeah. Well, <laughs> one is that two is like there's some 5D chess going around and they're playing chess, we're playing checkers, but turns out it's reverse, we're playing chess and they're playing checkers. So they lost one of the two. Checkers, hmm. Interesting. Yeah, like a, a lot of like the small builders that come out just subsidize and I, I don't know how long they can last doing that because if you're just going to subsidize, I guess that gets you... Basically, it's just a marketing reputation thing. So people think you're, you know, legitimate and then people actually send you transactions, right? But then you still come to the problem of you need to be able to order these properly so you don't just drop down after. Because you can still get all the transactions, but just if you have all the transactions and you're not making a profitable block, you just lose. And I was thinking of a strategy before. If you're one of the top three and you're making these, you know, really profitable blocks like Beaver, that's, you know, subsidizing with basically the arbitrage strategies then they could theoretically just in, in the bids bid auctions just max out on the bid and outprice everyone and win 100 percent of the time yeah but then you're not making any money that way right but no one else is as well <laughs> well i guess what they are doing is they're slowly they're taking profits from before and using the profits to smooth out that subsidization so they have are spreading out they're spreading out the losses but it's not just about the algorithm, right? So there's three. There's the, actually it's two algorithms and one order flow. So you have the order flow problem. Then you have the 
building the sorting problem and then now you have the bidding problem because another alpha is like and that's sorry not alpha but another key metric that you would like to optimize for is how to bid how to effectively bid on the relays it's almost like hft this is almost like hft game where you know if i put in a dollar and some guy immediately outbids by a dollar and one cent it was it's back to the pga land so if you're good in pga like bidding yeah. on the relay would probably work as well but you just got to make sure that your bids is just slightly higher than uh, the one that's about to win and if you you don't want to max subsidize right you want to slowly increase the bid gradually i think you could probably graph it out over time from the validator, sorry, the relay data set, but it's getting a bit, a little bit more competitive these days with the bidding algorithms. Mm. I think there was a, a research on ETH research, sorry, a post on ETH research on timing games, and this was one of them. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. The post is like, I don't know, like 10 pages long, so I kind of just chucked it to ChatGPT and put an abstract. <laughs> just get rid of it. Yes, yes. So you get three things, bidding, sorting, and order flow. I'm sure there's like a fourth one which we're missing that Beaver Build or Time Build has figured out, but we'll see. Yeah, the auctions, it becomes a latency game if you choose to do like instantaneous bids, like a HFT kind of thing, like an eBay auction where you have the bots just like wreck you instantly when you bid. I think if you didn't want to play the game and just opted out of the latency game and you were making big enough bundles or big big enough blocks, you could theoretically just kind of like see the average maybe average profitable blocks and then just like insta bid your max but of course you're going to lose some but it might guarantee majority of the time you already cut everyone out of of the of the latency and so you no longer actually play the game and if your latency isn't as good as someone that has like an insane infra well then you just don't even need the insane infra anymore you just skip it yeah, what happens if now we... So there's been talks on searcher builders. What if we have searcher builder validated, searcher builder relay validated? So you just insta-bid and then you get back the insta-bid anyway. So it doesn't even matter because maybe you're running some LSD protocol like Lido, like STE for something. And if you insta-bid, you get a higher APY. So it's better for everyone. But maybe we'll see some kind of integration like that in the future. I'm, I'm not too sure. But it'll be hard to compete if someone does have that level of integration. I think, yeah, if that ever happens, there's going to be an entire restructuring of of flashbots or even just like removing it, maybe. Who knows? I I really like what. No, we don't need private private order flow. (laughs) Bring back the public mempool days. That was the real fairground IMO these days. 100%. Yeah, it's a lot more hurdles these days. Yeah, bring back the old days. They were so much better. And (laughs) it was actually way more fair than today, where it's kind of monopolized, in my opinion. I talk about this a fair, a fair bit. Actually, one thing I think, if you are doing data, why don't you just spin up a relay? I don't have any connections with any validators. So no one's going to submit to my relay. It's an opt-in procedure. You need to opt-in to my relay as a validator. Can't they just see it all on a list though? And then they can just select? No, because the validator needs to get the block from my relay. And if they oh. don't connect to my relay, then they're not going to get the block. So no one's going to send data to your relay, right? Why would I compromise myself the relay is still a trusted component in this whole pipeline. I mean, damn, you need to get up your networking game, sir. Find some validators. Yeah, I need to find big validators. Hit up Lighter or someone similar size. Maybe maybe I'll get the Gachi, the Gachi ETH and then there'll be the Gachi ETH. Secretly run a trillion dollar validator company. I have the whole vertical. I actually really love 
reading your articles and I'm glad you finally started writing again with Cryptic. And one of them, which I think a lot of people want to know is how did you even meet Jared? Oh, we'll put that out for maybe another time. You are Jared. Oh, I wish. I wish. It took like a two-year break, man. I'm so rusty. Mm, this is this is cryptic. There's something in there to dig deep into. Yes, yes. Okay, so since you did AI in the past, why don't you just use AI on all the data you get now for libmev? That's like a future roadmap, but it's just a lot of work, just being honest. It's just a lot of work to include that in the current pipeline when we are also running a build. It's just a lot of operations, and as like a three-person team, it's very, very hard to kind of scale. Oh, why don't you scale scale that? Didn't you get sponsored? No, we got sponsored for like 6.9 ETH. That gets you like, what, half a software engineer? Yeah, just get like half or get like a part-time guy. We just don't have the manpower to do it. And we need to kind of structure it nicely so that other people can contribute efficiently. Okay, Mm -hmm. interesting. Why don't you open source the dashboard? Is it really like alpha? No, it's just a lot of cleanup. And then the problem is like, you have MEV inspect Pi, which is a great resource, by the way. What a lot of people do is that they just want you to open source it so it can see how things are done. And then you need to maintain that open source repository, which is a lot of work. You need to steward it. You need to be the benevolent dictator. You need to kind of run things in a certain way. It's like an open source project. So we just don't have the yeah, time yeah. to give it the love. Otherwise, it's just going to be another repository out there. Interesting. With being able to reverse engineer all these blocks and transactions... Is there anything that comes out as not normal, an anomaly? Have you done like long tail kind of detection as well? I think that would be very interesting. That's too obscure. That's too hot because then, okay, now the hard thing about these analysis is that you want to find when someone's like made a profit, right? Right. But okay, how do you define what's a profit? Is it a profit purely because you got WEF from thin air? But I could be unloading some shit coins to get that WEF, right? So now you need to get the pricing of said shit coins. How do you know what the price of the shitcoin is if there's only an AMM there with like 10k liquidity? So yeah, this was a problem I had as well with my fuzzer. The way I remember trying to solve this as well, it's a difficult problem because the original solution is you get like a chain link or you get all the AMMs with the shitcoin pairs, but then they have no liquidity, so it might be wrecked. But that's the intuitive thought. But then I think the unintuitive way is thinking about maybe just taking a gamble and being like, okay, they they exchanged WEF for this other token and it's not just an AMM that might be able to find a lot of stuff because there are one of the past strategies I've done with MEV is you actually use an exchange rate internally to the protocol and it's not an AMM. So like a wrap or an unwrap, for example. So that is a very niche way of doing it, which people might find. But things like statistical arbitrage, I think would be insanely difficult well even like cfi defi arbitrage i think being able to link the wallets and addresses like kind of getting rid of the shroud that like beaver has um because then you can do way more analysis on that but that would be like insane alpha actually well we'll go back to the long tail thing right so what happens in a long tail strategy most of the time is that you get money from the net pretty much or like you do some kind of yeah some kind of operations you press a button and you get some some reward like a lot of times there's a lot of false positives so what i'm referring to is like contracts that you might not think are common but actually really really common like for example the eth global rewards distribution contract some guy calls a function he gets some money out because he won a hackathon I've seen that many times. Yeah, You don't put anything into it. Like You just call it and you get USDC out. But because they're getting money from thin air, that's 
it, under that classification, it would be a long tail strategy, but it's not. So there's just way too many of these false positives to make sense. And so the, the noise to signal ratio was too high. So we kind of just scraped that. Why not open source that part? Maybe someone can like dig deep into it and salvage something. I don't think I don't think it's that useful. It's pretty much just checking the token balance deltas and then seeing if oh, okay. some <laughs> things are greater than the other. Balance increase. Pretty yes. much. All right. Long tail. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. There's a few of those. I remember Ampleforth, which was when I first got into crypto, it was like 2019. That was my first big play. And a couple of years later, I found out that they had a rebase function that actually paid you. Well, not paid you, but you could abuse it with MEV where yep. you could just flash loan a ton of like Ample and then rebase and then repay the flash loan. Now you have the rebase tokens just chilling. And it was like that kind of stuff. Oh, I thought you were going to rebase it and then call skim or something, which I guess also works. Yeah, yeah, I guess they all work. In, oh in my some God. Way. Yeah, <laughs> I should have, could have, would have. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Man, yeah, ample days were the best. I hope it comes back. Rebasing token era was the shit. We need Doquan out of prison for his basis cash or something. We need Yam again. Brock, come make another Yam, please. Yam V3. Yam V3. Make it even more Ponzi for us, please. <laughs> I super want to see what happens with the future of MEV. There's also some people like Sam Batcher with Manifold Finance. So during the entire vertical where... They introduced new kind of MEV aspects of selling future block space. You can basically buy that and then create MEV in advance, that kind of stuff. I wonder if you've seen anyone else working on this kind of stuff as well, creating new MEV dimensions, kind of changing the game, because I'm pretty sick of this PBS shit. Well, I mean, you still need PBS, right? It's just MEV boost plus plus eigenlayer coin that term, right? You're just PBS plus plus now if you have the block space futures auction. Hmm. I think those would be quite interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see what would happen with the futures market if it does launch. Because I remember 2019, they had this token called Gas Token, which one inch eventually yeah. launched Qi. But then the they decided to remove that functionality where you could like bank up gas when gas was cheap and then release it when gas was expensive. thought that was really, really cool. When did they delete that? What happened to that? I think they just removed the amount of gas that you would get refunded when you self-destructed that storage slot. So it wasn't practical anymore. But yeah, like that existed for about, I think, 10 months or like a year or a year and a half before it got picked up. So if the block futures market does open, it could be like kind of no one really knows its potential until someone finds like a very niche use case for it and it just explodes. I think there's a good possibility it could happen, but there's so many things need to go right for that to happen. So not going to bet on anything just, just yet. But Sam Bacha is like a very capable guy. So I wouldn't yeah. wouldn't bet anything against him as well. Yeah, I, I hope it all works out because I like to see new, new games and being early. I, I was never early into stuff. So I want to be early now. Yes, we're just playing just wanna... infinite games in the infinite garden. Exactly. And I'm losing every single one of them. Welcome, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the Brotherhood, sir. I'm being pushed up to the top ranks of the Brotherhood instantly <laughs> from my experience. Man, did you ever get into like generalized front running or sandwiching at least? Oh, actually, we started off sandwiching. Okay. I remember seeing the repos back in the day. Yeah, we started sandwiching and then back then we thought <laughs> it was not profitable because... Oh, uh, rugs. Yeah, we didn't do a deep enough analysis on sandwiching because we, mm. from our initial assumption, we 
thought that sandwiching was the easiest entry point, right? Because you have X amount of tokens, you push up the price, you sell, and then they do a buy and then you sell it. So we didn't realize you could combine sandwiching and backrunning, which is what the top searchers do these days, uh, which would then make a bigger profit. So we kind of just focused on backrunning. And also I was a bit morally against sandwiching at that point. These days, I feel like, you know, sandwiching isn't that immoral. And okay, this is a bit of a tangent, but... I feel like using Telegram bots and saying, hey, I'm going to Insta accept like 5% slippage from the fees, like Unibot, hey. for example. And then how is that any more worse than sandwiching? You're Insta accepting 5% slippage where... Probing sandwiches. But to be fair, I think they are private transactions though. They are private transactions. But what I'm saying is the sandwiches are operating, most of the sandwiches that I know are operating in the public mempool. It's like you sign a transaction and yeah. said, yeah, yeah. hey, with full authority, I'm willing to accept this price slippage, which most front-ends do kind of alert you these days. Like Uniswap, before they went to Uniswap X, would kind of tell you, hey, this is kind of retarded. Please don't do it. Only do it if you're certain. And if you still say, okay, I, I don't know, is that, is that, I think that's kind of on you. Mm. You're basically accepting like a 5% loss. Yeah, but you might get up to a 5% loss. That's the thing if you get sandwiched. On Telegram bots, it's an insta 5% loss, which you know, which is fine because people people agree to those terms. Yeah, or maybe they just don't understand it half the time. I mean, people that use Telegram bots would just... Well, to be fair, some of them are like really killing it. Binatagon has been getting like 86% of all LP snipes. It's been crazy. It's better than it. MEV bot. <laughs> Maybe we should all pivot to Telegram bots. Why are we bribing to win blocks? Should just be building Telegram bots. Jesus Christ. Yeah, what are we doing? It should be the new fad. Come on, guys, let's switch to Telegram bots. MEV's MEV's dead. It's over. Yeah, but there's always like these the question of what project to work on, and the Telegram bot was originally one of the ideas, but I guess it didn't captivate yeah. me enough. So here I am dealing with negative profit. Yeah, how did you decide that you wanted to do cryptic words? If there was like the infinite possibility of doing everything, you decided to go down the analytic route and go back into MEV, but in a different kind of way. It was the only thing that really excited me. Like I tried to do other things, like build other SaaS products, upskill in other areas. Actually, that's why I joined Mantle. I don't know if you know. Yeah, yeah. I remember meeting you in Japan when you were a Mantle dev rel, right? I still am. But I, wanted oh. <laughs> to but I wanted to upskill in other areas in life because I felt like a lot of times growing up, I kind of was just facing the computer and it would be good to kind of learn some social skills, Definitely. As, as cringe as it is. But that's why I picked up the role of DevRel so I could talk to people and maybe uh, maybe level up on the social aspect. But turns out I'm just talking to autists like me, so I don't think that really... But yeah, so Same thing. a lot of things where I wanted to level up in other aspects of life like social skills maybe communication skills and and more a bit more less technical soft skills yeah yeah but every time we go back to like technical skills it's always like that is what intrigues me because it's competitive enough but no one's getting hurt and you know there's money on the line so it's like a combination of the three and i also have domain level expertise so that's kind of why i wanted to go down the funny money arbitrage route internet money internet money yeah (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm the same, except I just stumbled across the podcast just to meet people. And I think there's actually a lot of power in meeting people and making friendships. And I think you discussed this in, in Penguin Builder, that the article you wrote of starting a builder. It's all about trust and relationships. 
But I think the even more interesting thing is when I started getting into, well, just my career in general, which is like four years long now, it's not even that long, then it's like meeting people and being in a community and having strong friendships actually boosts you way more than being alone because they introduce you to concepts you've never even heard of, new opportunities that you would never even stumble across, or maybe you would just like later down the line. And it's a giant enabler and you can bounce ideas from them and form teams and create cool stuff. So I think it is important that a lot of devs really do it unless they get to a point where they build something cool and then people just come to them or get invited to, you know, conferences or podcasts, whatever, to kind of voice themselves. But, you know, forming actual relationships is very important is what I've kind of realized after four years. Oh, definitely. No, no, the, I cannot overstate how important forming genuine friendships or even networking is in this scene. I think a lot of the, a lot of the reasons why people tend to not be so vocal or public is because I, from what I experience is probably imposter syndrome. Like you don't feel like you're adequate enough. Uh, You don't feel like you're good enough. So why do I want to go out and reach out to people? Like I don't have anything to to sell mm. i don't have anything to kind of I, what why would you talk to me is the question mm. and i would like to actually thank karthik if karthik is listening to this the eve global founder i would like mm-hmm. to thank him for kickstarting my career actually so he so i can i come from bumfuck nowhere down under and karthik hosted this hackathon in canada called Hacktonoff. it was in waterloo mm-hmm. and i remember i got a i guess a grant i think it was like a thousand canadian dollars to go to waterloo this is my first international event to go to waterloo oh, nice. and hack at a hackathon and it was very exciting for me first time overseas to to north america first time interacting with people from north america because you know like shows like silicon valley and you know it kind of tells you hey these people are like crackheads crackheads they're so op they're like so good they're so much better than the people in your vicinity and then mm. I went there and everyone was just as retarded as me. You know, we were just calling the same <laughs> APIs. We we're using the same tools. I was like, yo, what the fuck is this? Like, everyone's just as retarded as me. So I think from that trip, I gained a lot of confidence. Like, I realized, hey, this, these cunts from MIT, these cunts from Stanford, like, they're the same fucking retarded. This is as retarded as me. So why can't I be confident as well? So Yeah, 100%. Actually, Japan was my first international solo trip and turned out to be a conference as well. Now, that was kind of the reason for me to leave and de-anonymize, although nobody even knew me <laughs> until I told them. I just went there and I just messed around. I didn't really build anything, but it was like a great experience, actually. It was very grounding of, okay, the internet isn't just everything, because mm-hmm. uh, that is like 99% of my life. And it does kind of change the way you view things. You get more, I guess, old in a way, because you don't see like human emotions anymore or faces or anything it's just like text and profile picture but you do make really good friends online and i'm really appreciative of all the people i've met and still meeting but yeah on in-person events were very very weird even though it's very odd to say as well <laughs> being online 24 7 uh, let's let's preface this by everyone in this space is a little bit quirky that's something i discovered Quirky is a nice way to put it. That's why we're in this industry, right? If you tell, like, what sane person would work in a funny money industry when, like, okay, what do you do? Like, I push numbers around this imaginary database. So it's hot. I think you need to have a certain type of personality to 
to book in the space. And so everyone's a bit quirky. Everyone slightly, maybe slightly outcasted, I would say, unless you're BD like Seraphim and you're very outgoing. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think the ability or just connecting with them really hits home. Yeah, one thing I've realized is I don't actually tell people I'm in crypto when I walk around. I just say like cybersecurity or something because I think there's a negative connotation with crypto and they just think you're like complete degens. Well, I also tell people <laughs> that I just run, I'm just like a software consultant is probably the easiest one. I run my own mm. software consultancy. Look at Subway. I work at Subway. Uh, yes, I make sandwiches. Probably the best, the best title, honestly. <laughs> Sandwich maker. Sandwich maker. Uh, actually, Subway was your reaper, right? Uh, yeah, so that was actually inspired by MEV Internet and Common Core. Like we couldn't figure out why is this guy getting less guests than us? And then turns out it was because of the slots. There was a lot of like undocumented things. And so I just wanted to make like a POC, kind of tell people that hey, you can do it too if I can do it in, in JS. I guess that's kind of where, why I like to write the threads before. It's just people keep thinking it's all the gigabrains running MEV bots. And I'm sure there's like a one or two gigabrains out there. But most of the yeah. time, it's just a bunch of monkeys like clamoring around a computer just trying to get something to work. So yeah, I think having the confidence boost to know that you can do something is very, very oh, yeah. important. And that's probably why you're more comfortable meeting people because you know you have achieved something maybe with your fuzzer or maybe in your you have something to offer. And so perhaps that's why you're able to connect better. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that does attribute to it. If you can prove to yourself that you can do something, which just comes from consistency really and doing it long-term, there's no real formula. It's just do it long-term and with intention. But then you achieve something and you feel better about yourself and then you feel more confident. Confident, And it's just like a petrol snowball of success. I mean, that's kind of how we're designed. It's whatever you think and believe really just comes naturally, I guess. There's like the winner's streak. That's like a, an actual thing. So just like keep winning small, small, and then eventually gets big. Still trying to get big. <laughs> Compound interests. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Man, I really hope MEV intern comes back. I want him to speak to me. He's like my idol. Maybe he's Jared. Maybe he just left and became Jared. Maybe he is Jared. I cannot, I have no clue. But MEV intern was more PSC, so I don't know. Turn to the dark side. I wonder what he was doing on in the early days. I think he has a bot open source. Yeah, yeah, yeah. MEV intern. I think, I think. Do you ever see Cake Sniper on BSC? Yes, I think. Is, isn't is it his? Cake Sniper. No, no, that was someone else. Oh, that was Super Psycho. Well. Oh my god, three years ago. Uh, oh god, I'm so old. <laughs> the guy just left. He's like, he hasn't done anything for like a year. Oh, he's contributing to like private repositories. He's doing, I think it was doing actual protocol dev now. I guess the typical pipeline. Yes, where you go from protocol dev to this to that. I remember I also had like a period of time where it was like very, very fun to fuck around with protocols. By fuck around, I mean like make protocols. Yeah, that guy was really cool. I super liked that swarm mechanism he had where he just spammed the block with like 100 wallets, of BSC wallets, and then it would just clog it up and he would have his one transaction there. He would be like the only relevant transaction in the entire block. I mean, that's the PGA land before flashbots. Yeah. Oh man, I miss those days, the good old days. Yeah, 2020, oh well. Maybe I should get back into searching and non-EVM chains again, making me firmer. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure talking to you and 
I really hope the best for Cryptic Woods. Continue making those great articles and teaching the people about the world of the Dark Forest. Hopefully, Penguin Build establishes itself as well as top three, and maybe it becomes bigger than Beaver. I don't think so. We respect Beaver a lot. No, you never know. Don't doubt yourself. This is the imposter syndrome. <laughs> well, thanks for the time. I know your audience probably more interested to hear about MEV stuff, so we'll just keep it at that rather than all the tangential bullshit. It's needed, bro. It's needed. They need to believe in themselves to sandwich people. Thank you so much, Lib EVM, for coming on. I appreciate your time, and I'll definitely have you on in the future. All right. Thank you for your time. Had lots of fun, and see you at the next event or podcast. Don't wrench me, please. Thank you. (laughs)